just a disclaimer before we begin. This little anecdote is not based on Shalom or its council in any way, shape, or form. Last time, not in this congregation, I told a story about a church council. Folks thought I was talking about them, so I assure you, this is just an anecdote. Stacy looked down at her agenda. She didn't sign up for this when she agreed to be on council. The meeting was going into its third hour. Usually they were done in two, but the representative from the kitchen committee had asked for $9,000 to purchase a new gas range after the old one went kaput during the fall fling. The rep from the education committee was hurt that the council would even consider this expense, considering that their request for new curriculum, tables, and chairs had been tabled until the next budget year, to which the evangelism rep stood up and shot back, why not use some of your own committee's money for once, Gladys? You've got $10,000 stored up from 50 years of Sunday school offerings. Before Stacy knew it, the room had erupted in a shouting match. Stacy glanced down at her agenda and sighed. Under new business, there was one agenda item. One agenda item that made her heart sink. Pastor performance and compensation review. Across the room, she saw Pastor, Pastor Mike with his head in his hands, looking all of his 62 years. Stacy wondered how long she could stand it. She texted her husband quickly to let him know she wouldn't make it home until very late and, without even realizing it, started Googling other area churches. Sometimes, like Stacy, we find ourselves part of something we didn't sign up for. Either our days become drudgery, everyone the same, or they become unpleasant. COVID certainly has done both to us. There's light at the end of the tunnel, yeah. But after 10 months, it's sure, it's sure hard to see. And perhaps we, we probably do worry about the days to come, much like Stacy or Pastor Mike dreading the discussion on the performance review. Which is why I love today's story from Luke's Gospel. Jesus shows up by the lakeshore, uninvited and unannounced at the end of a very long work night. He commandeers a boat from Simon Peter to use as a preaching platform. You can imagine that Peter probably looked forward to calling it a day. Going home to his wife, yeah, he had a wife, and, and very likely children. Probably felt, it's done, we didn't have any luck today, time to go home, get some rest, try again. And then Jesus says, go out deeper, let down the nets. You can just imagine what's going on in Peter's head. Who is this guy? He doesn't know anything about fishing. He obviously doesn't know anything about fishing. Surely he knows we've been out all night. Can't he see how tired I am? But he's willing to suspend his exhaustion and disbelief to try. And what a catch. 
Luke tells us that even with two boats, the catch was so huge that they both began to sink. Some scholars see this story as a misplaced post-resurrection narrative, much like John 21, where Jesus is on the lake shore, he sees the boat, they haven't caught anything all night, and he says, uh, let down your nets, and they have this huge catch of fish. However, Luke is a masterful storyteller. There's a reason that the story is here. There's deliberate foreshadowing going on, what's going to happen. Just as Jesus was lost to his parents for three days and was found about God's business in the temple, and just as Peter and his partners net a giant catch after a long night of nothing, so the good news of Jesus culminates in his resurrection from the dead, the dark night, which is the sign and assurance of our own resurrection. Jesus has new business to undertake with these men. Their skills in fishing have some bearing on what they're about to do, although not in a direct way. Instead of catching fish to sell at market, they will be catching people for the kingdom of God. They won't use hooks or nets, though, obviously. Their equipment will be the words that their master gives them and the deeds of power that they do in his name. And most important of all, the love that they have for each other and for those they proclaim the good news to. This new business is still a family business, but the family business, the family is all the people of God. This is the new business we're made part of in our baptism. And if you've noticed, this has been a theme in the sermons for the last three weeks. The bus- God's business, the business of God. At baptism, we become part of God's family. And therefore, workers, and if we want to stretch out the analogy even more, even shareholders, you might say, in God's business of redeeming and enlightening the world. Even in times and days when everything feels gloomy or a chore or that there's no light at the end of the tunnel or hope is gone, God's business is always new and being renewed in us because we are always being made new. This was something we talked about in Confirmation last Wednesday. There is a connection, a very deep mystical connection between baptism and death. We're dead to the old way of doing things. Dead to the world's way, we might say. Every day, Luther tells us that that old sinful person that insists on its own way and insists on continuing to do things, these these old dysfunctional ways, is drowned. And every day, Luther tells us, a new person rises up to live before God. Through a huge catch of fish, Peter and Andrew, James and John, likewise die to the world as it is and follow Jesus in this new business of the kingdom of God. And the same call is extended to us. Although perhaps we should have a little nuance here. When Jesus says, from now on, you will be catching people, perhaps we shouldn't hear that in a colonial assimilationist way. We want to make them like us. That's not what Jesus is calling us to do. We're not called to assimilate people into our exact ways of thinking, doing, and being. Our way of being church 
of following Christ may not and often is not the way other people do church or follow Christ. We need to be aware of that and sensitive to that. However, we are called in catching people to give, to paradoxically, to give something. Instead, we're, we're to give people Jesus. We're to give Jesus to people. What does Jesus mean to you? How does he matter for you, for your life? Once we know the answers to those questions, we are better at giving him to others. In following Jesus in this new business of God's kingdom, we will find ourselves being changed, being made more and more into that new person that God calls us to be and is committed to making us. Being made more like the master who calls, redeems, enlightens, and guides us. All we need to do, and there's one thing we need to do. It's dead work and doesn't save, but we still need to do it. Is to be willing to obey his voice. To agree, to suspend our disbelief like Peter and row out to those deeper waters where things may be a bit uncomfortable. To let down our nets for a catch, even if we haven't caught anything for a while. Because when we say yes to Jesus, when we obey his voice, he will work things in us that we can't imagine. This can be a great congregation, but not for its own sake. Not for its own sake. This isn't, congregations are called to be great in the name of empire building. Great in another paradoxical sense, a self-giving congregation. A congregation that gives itself for others, that gives Jesus to others. For the sake of the people it serves and for the sake of Jesus who saves it. This new business of God, catching people, Giving them Jesus is primary. Everything else is background. Necessary background, perhaps, but still background. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, just as you called Peter and the other apostles to follow you in the new business of your kingdom, remind us that you have likewise called us by virtue of our baptism. Help us obey your voice and fulfill our calling.